Welcome to the Mind Your P's and Q's podcast with Mind Your Manners Mediation. I'm your host, Attorney Abby Godless, chatting with you about important family law topics and giving you tips for navigating Arizona divorce and custody. Let's get chatting. Having made it through the tough topics we covered for October's DV Awareness Month, we are continuing in my unofficial fundamental series on a much more neutral note this episode. Today we will be chatting spousal maintenance basics. Spousal maintenance is the updated, refreshed term for what we all traditionally know as alimony. And while in the statutes and court forms, etc., you will see spousal maintenance as the current term of art. In practice, you will also frequently hear it referred to as spousal support because, of course, that is what it is doing in effect. So without further ado, we're going to dive right into the two-part inquiry that the courts look to when spousal maintenance is at issue in a case. And that two-part inquiry involves first determining whether the potential receiving spouse is actually eligible. And importantly, eligibility does not equal entitlement. The statute is a discretionary one that states the court may grant a support order. And so this two-part inquiry is just that. Because eligibility does not equal entitlement, the first step is that eligibility component and looking to whether there is actual need. The second part of the inquiry is the entitlement component, which is, okay, so there is a need, but what does that actual need look like? The eligibility step first looks to five factors, and if the spouse that is requesting spousal maintenance meets any one of these five factors, then they are eligible for spousal maintenance, and we would then be able to turn to that second step. And those five factors include lacking sufficient property, including property that is allocated in the divorce to provide for the potential receiving spouse's reasonable needs. The potential receiving spouse may also lack earning ability in the labor market that would be adequate for them to be self-sufficient. They may be the caregiving parent of a child whose age or condition is such that that parent should not be required to seek employment outside the home. They may have made a significant financial or other contribution to the education, training, vocational skills, career, or earning ability of the potential paying spouse, or they have significantly reduced their own income or career opportunities for the benefit of the potential paying spouse. Because I am reading these factors straight from the statute, that is somewhat wordy, And not that wordy necessarily equals complicated, but if you're not looking at the words on a page, it gets lengthy to follow. And so this bullet point can basically be boiled down to if the spouse requesting spousal maintenance has in some substantial manner supported the potential paying spouse in boosting their career and earning ability, and in doing so has reduced their own income or career opportunities, and that is going to be a situation where the spouse requesting it would be eligible. 
And finally, if the marriage is one of long duration and the requesting spouse is of an age that may preclude the possibility of gaining employment, that would be adequate for them to be self-sufficient. As I mentioned, if the requesting spouse meets any one of the five bullet points I just noted, then they are eligible and you would then need to look to the actual entitlement. Now, two important points to make before we turn to that entitlement component. Spousal maintenance has always been intended to be a rehabilitative support. With that being said though, there were still plenty of times, and I use plenty loosely because I have never purported to have seen and done it all, but plenty of times where the court would order permanent maintenance awards. And just recently, with a whole slew of other law updates and changes, some of which we have discussed, such as the recent change to the orders of protection being effective for two years instead of one year. And so one of the clarifications and updates that came out of all the recent stuff is that with regards to spousal maintenance, because it has always been intended as a rehabilitative effort, the statute has been revised to make very clear that their discretion is only to the extent that they may award spousal maintenance only for a duration and amount necessary to enable that receiving spouse to become self-sufficient. While I suspect that there may be limited circumstance where that limiting duration and amount still manages to become a permanent award, I mostly see this coming about in the gray divorce world, but I can't actually comment on if or how frequently that may still occur for two reasons. One, this is such a new law change, we're not yet able to see any cases play out and get a sense of the court's logic, but also because turning to the second point I want to make, and that is that there has always been a want for guidelines akin to the existing child support guidelines, and that never existed, and the child support guidelines are very helpful. They better explain the statute and the requirements. They provide examples that is really going to do what it claims to do and guide you. And nothing like that has ever existed for spousal maintenance. And so finally, just in this past legislative period, the Arizona Supreme Court was tasked with creating similar guidelines, but for spousal maintenance. Now, of course, because this just got tasked and whatever actual task force and people in process is, you know, being put in place as we speak, being cemented to move forward. And so based on current estimates, it is looking likely that the guidelines will have been created and gone through the whole public drafting process where at different points, you know, comments will be invited. They'll address the feedback in their updated drafts. Whatever their whole process is, they expect to be done and ready to actually roll out and implement the guidelines, likely in early 2024. On the one hand, that's not so helpful for our discussion today because that's still over a year out. But on the other hand, I personally see just over a year for the government to create from scratch a whole new guideline that has never existed before. 
For me, that is a pretty speedy timeline. You know, the government as a bureaucracy, never known to be working fast. So with that being said, tying this back to my first point before making a couple last comments, I would hope that part of the guidelines does provide examples and explanation when a permanent support order may still be allowed and on the up and up and seen as, even though it's permanent, still being the quote, only for a duration and amount necessary to enable that receiving spouse to become self-sufficient. Moving forward into a couple other hopes I have, there are currently no plans for any type of spousal maintenance calculator to be created and implemented the way a child support calculator exists. However, I am still hopeful that with the different guidance and especially with some of the examples that these guidelines may at least include ranges where it sets up, you know, some different factors and timing, etc., whatever details apply to those factors. And if any given couple falls in to this zone versus that zone versus the other zone, that there may at least be ranges of amounts and durations that can be used either as presumptions or at least starting points Now, as we turn to this next part, the actual second part of the inquiry, the entitlement component, we will talk about how the current awards, although they may seem a bit arbitrary, they are not actually arbitrary. But all the same, if there's guidelines that proposes ranges, again, whether as presumptions or starting points, it can only further remove any concerns that there's arbitrary decisions being made or anything along those lines. Now, already part of what is removing the chance that there is an arbitrary award is existing case law. The current case law will continue to be super valid through the guidelines. I do envision that once the guidelines come out that as cases are appealed and come up at that point, then some of the current existing case law may no longer be good law. Newer cases may come out that based on the clarifying language in the statute, based on the new guidelines once they do roll out, that the case law will slowly but surely catch up so that it is all good law on the current law. The other reason that the awards are certainly not arbitrary even now is because this second step in the eligibility then entitlement determination is looking to another set of factors. This is 13 factors to help figure out what the amount and duration should be. The court is gonna look at all 13 factors as a big picture. It's gonna consider them together and weigh them in conjunction with each other. And by looking at that big picture, it's gonna ensure that any support award is appropriate and just. The 13 factors, I am like the first set of factors, just gonna read it straight from the statute, include the standard of living established during the marriage, the duration of the marriage, the age, employment, history, earning ability, and physical and emotional condition of the spouse seeking maintenance, the ability of the paying spouse to meet their own needs while also meeting the needs of the receiving spouse, the comparative financial resources of both spouses, including their comparative earning abilities in the labor market, 
the contribution of the receiving spouse to the earning ability of the paying spouse, the extent to which the spouse seeking maintenance has reduced their own income or career opportunities for the benefit of the paying spouse, the ability of both parties after divorce to contribute to the future educational costs of any mutual children, the financial resources of the party seeking maintenance, including marital property allocated in the divorce, and that spouse's ability to meet their own needs independently, the time necessary to acquire sufficient education or training to enable the receiving spouse to find appropriate employment and whether such education or training is readily available, excessive or abnormal expenditures, destruction, concealment, or fraudulent disposition of community, joint tenancy, and other property held in common, the cost for the receiving spouse to obtain health insurance, including the reduction in the cost of health insurance for the paying spouse if the paying spouse is able to convert their family health insurance to employee health insurance after divorce, and all actual damages and judgments from conduct that resulted in the criminal conviction of either spouse in which the other spouse or a child was the victim. Now, you'll probably note that while they were phrased slightly differently, some of the factors that can make a spouse eligible also are then looked at more closely to more specifically help determine that amount and duration. Maintenance orders are made without regard to marital misconduct. And I note this right after the factors because with them fresh in mind, I'm sure you're thinking, but two of the ones you said were excessive abnormal expenditures, fraud, you know, damages and judgments from a criminal conviction where the paying spouse was the victim. And so first and foremost, misconduct can apply in other situations, but because because everything is big picture, that may go to affecting the amount and duration, but is not going to preclude the order in and of itself. Spousal maintenance awards are generally modifiable. With that being said though, the parties can agree that it will not be modifiable, in which case that will be part of the terms laid out in either a separate maintenance order or the decree of dissolution or legal separation. Spousal maintenance details can also be negotiated in a prenuptial agreement. So you may or may not be getting ahead of a specific amount and duration. Usually in prenuptial agreements where that occurs, it will kind of like what I hope for the guidelines lay out that if certain details and thresholds have been met, the award will be X dollars for X time. But even just saying that spousal maintenance will be at play in the divorce, but would not be modifiable, or something more general along those lines, that can all be part of a prenuptial agreement. It does not have to be during the divorce or legal separation that you are actually negotiating and agreeing to these different details. And the final point I want to make is with limited exception, and that includes the party's agreement, like we just spoke about, and we've noted in other episodes too, when the parties agree, as long as you're within the law, there's not usually reason for the judge and the court to mess with your agreements. So with limited exception, including if you were to agree to this, the court is going to maintain continuing jurisdiction for the spousal maintenance issues for the period of time 
claim that the maintenance is awarded. And that is because unless the award is not going to be modifiable, and thus the court would have no reason to maintain any form of jurisdiction because you can't come back, it is done and over with, then as long as the award is modifiable, you do need a path back to court. And that path is ensuring that the court maintains jurisdiction so that they can address any future issues over the award. Today was a pretty straightforward episode, but I do always at least try to give a a bit of recap. And so the recap really is as quick as spousal maintenance is a two-part inquiry that first looks to whether the spouse seeking maintenance is eligible for and thus has a need for the maintenance, for the support. If they are eligible, we then look to what they are actually entitled to, which is determining the amount and duration based on those 13 factors that are gonna be looked at as a full picture. And generally, the award is going to be modifiable, in which case the court is going to maintain jurisdiction. As always, thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next time to stay in the know. Any links mentioned and all credits and permissions can be found in the show notes. I'll catch you in our next episode.